Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The stairs so as to make his escape safety. In the midst of this uproar, we cannot but stop a moment to make a reflection. Renzo, who was causing disturbance at night in another person's house, who had effected an entrance by stealth, and who had blockaded the master himself in one of his own rooms, has all the appearance of an oppressor. Well, in fact, he was the oppressed. Donabandio, taken by surprise, terrified, and put to flight, while peaceably engaged in his own affairs, appears the victim, when in reality it was he who did the wrong. Thus frequently goes the world. Or, rather, we should say, thus it went in the seventeenth century. The besieged, finding that the enemy gave no signs of abandoning the enterprise, opened a window that looked out into the churchyard and shouted, Help! Help! There was a most lovely moon, the shadow of the church, and a little beyond, the long, sharp shadow of the bell-tower lay dark, still, and well-defined on the bright, grassy level of the sacred enclosure. All objects were visible, almost as by day. But look which way you would, there appeared no sign of a living person. Adjoining the lateral wall of the church, on the side next the parsonage, was a small dwelling where the sexton slept. Aroused by this unusual cry, he sprang up in his bed, jumped out in great haste, threw open the sash of his little window, put his head out with his eyelids glued together all the while, and cried out, "'What's the matter?' "'Run, Ambrosio! Help! People in the house!' answered Don Abandio. "'Coming directly,' replied he. And he drew his head in and shut the window, and although half asleep and more than half terrified, an expedient quickly occurred to him that would bring more aid than had been asked, without dragging him into the affray, whatever it might be. Seizing his breeches that lay upon the bed, he tucked them under his arm like a gala hat, and bounding downstairs by a little wooden ladder, ran to the belfry, caught hold of the rope that was attached to the larger of the two bells, and pulled vigorously. Tan, 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 tan. The peasant sprang up in his bed. The boy, stretched in the hayloft, listened eagerly, and leapt upon his feet. What's the matter? What's the matter? The bells ringing. Fire? Thieves? Bandati? Many of the women advised begged their husbands not to stir, to let others run. Some got up and went to the window, those who were cowards, as if yielding to entreaty, quietly slipped under the bedclothes again, while the more inquisitive and courageous sprang up and armed themselves with pitchforks and pistols to run to the uproar. Others waited to see the end. But before these were all ready, 
and even before they were all well awake, the noise reached the ears and arrested the attention of some others not very far distant, who were both dressed and on their feet, the bravos in one place, Agnes and Perpetua in another. We will first briefly relate the moments of the bravos since we left them, some in the old building and some at the inn. The three at the inn, as soon as they saw all the doors shut and the street deserted, went out, pretending to be going some distance, but they only quietly took a short turn in the village to be assured that all had retired to rest. And, in fact, they met not one living creature, nor heard the least voice. They also passed, still more softly, before Lucia's little cottage, which was the quietest of all, since there was no one within. Then they went direct to the old house, and reported their observations to Signor Griso. Hastily putting on a slouched hat, with a pilgrim's dress of sackcloth, scattered over with cockle-shells, and taking in his hand a pilgrim's staff, he said, Now let us act like good bravos, quiet and attentive to orders. So saying, he moved forward, followed by the rest, and in a few moments reached the cottage by the opposite way to the one our little party had taken when setting out on their expedition. Griso ordered his followers to remain a few paces behind while he went forward alone to explore, and finding all outside deserted and still, he beckoned to two of them to advance, ordered them quickly to scale the wall that surrounded the courtyard, and when they had descended, to conceal themselves in a corner behind a thick fig tree that he had noticed in the morning. This done, he knocked gently at the door, with the intention of saying that he was a pilgrim who had lost his way, and begged for a lodging the night. No one replied. He knocked a little more loudly, not a whisper. Therefore he called a third bravo, and made him descent into the yard as the other two had done, with orders to unfasten the bolt inside very carefully, so that he might have free ingress and egress. All was executed with the greatest caution, and the most prosperous success. He then went to call the rest, and bidding them enter with them, he sent them to hide in the corner with the others, closed the door again very softly, placed two sentinels inside, and went up to the door of the house. Here also he knocked, waited, and long enough he might wait. He then, as gently as possible, opened the door, and nobody within said, Who is there? No one was to be heard. Nothing could be better forward then come on he cried to those behind the fig tree and he entered with them into that very room where in the morning he had so basely obtained a piece of bread drawing from his pocket a piece of steel a flint some tinder and a few matches he lit a small lantern he had provided and stepped into the next room to assure himself that all was quiet not one was there he returned went to the foot of the stairs, looked up, listened. All was solitude and silence. Leaving two more sentinels in the lower room, he bid Grignapoco follow him, a bravo from the district of Bergamo, whose office it was to threaten, appease, and command, to be, in short, the spokesman, so that his dialect might give Agnes the idea that the expedition came from his neighborhood. With his companion at his side and the rest behind him, Griso very slowly ascended the stairs, cursing in his heart every step that unluckily creaked, every tread of these villains that made the least noise. At last he reaches the top. 
Here is the danger. He gently pushes the door that leads into the first room. It yields to his touch. He opens it a little and looks in. All is dark. He listens attentively. Perchance he may hear a snoring, a breath, a stirring within. Nothing. Forward, then. He puts the lantern before his face, so as to see without being seen. He opens the door wide, perceives a bed, looks upon it. The bed is made and smooth, with clothes turned down and arranged upon the pillow. He shrugs his shoulders, turns to his companions, beckons them that he is going to look in the other room, and that they must keep quiet where they were. He goes forward, uses the same precautions, meets with the same success. "'Whatever can this mean?' he exclaimed boldly. "'Some traitorous dog must have been acting as a spy.' They began to look about them with less caution, and pry into every corner, turning the house upside down. While the party upstairs were thus engaged, the two men who were on guard at the street door heard hasty and repeated footsteps approaching along the road that led into the village, and imagining that whoever it was he would pass by, they kept quiet, their ears, however, attentively on the watch. But behold! The footsteps stopped exactly at the door. It was Minicho, arriving in great haste, sent by Father Cristoforo to bid the two women, for heaven's sake, to make their escape as quickly as possible from their cottage and take refuge in the convent, because, the because the reader knows, he took hold of the handle of the latch and felt it shake in his hand, unfastened and broken open. What is this? thought he and he pushed open the door in some alarm, and putting one foot inside with considerable suspicion, he felt himself seized by, in a moment by both arms, and he heard two smothered voices on his right and left saying to him in a threatening voice, Hush! Hold your tongue, or you die! On the contrary, however, he uttered a shrill cry, upon which one of them struck him a great blow on the mouth, and the other took hold of a large knife to terrify him. The poor child trembled like a leaf, and did not attempt a second cry, but all at once, in his stead, and with a far different tone, burst forth the first sound of a bell before described, and immediately after many thundering peals in quick succession. If the cat fits, put it on, says a Milanese proverb. Each of the villains seemed to hear in these peals his name, surname, and nickname. They let go of Menicho's arms, hastily dropped their own, gazed at each other's faces in mute astonishment, and then ran into the house where was the bulk of their companions. Menicho took to his legs and fled by way of the fields towards the belfry, where he felt sure there would be some people assembled. On the other ruffians, who were rummaging the house from top to bottom, the terrible bell made the same impression. Confused and alarmed, they ran against one another, in attempting, each one for himself, to find the shortest way of reaching the street door. Though men of approved courage, and accustomed never to turn their backs on known peril, they could not stand against an indefinite danger which had not been viewed at a little distance before coming upon them. It required all the authority of Griso to keep them together, so that it might be a retreat and not a flight. Just as a dog dirging a drove of pigs runs here and there after those that break the ranks, seizes one by the ears and drags him into the herd, 
propels another with his nose, barks at a third that leaves the line at the same moment. So the pilgrim laid hold of one of his troop just passing the threshold and drew back, detained with his staff. Some of those who were flying they knew not whither, and finally succeeded in assembling them all in the middle of the courtyard. Halt! Halt! Pistols in hand, daggers in their readiness, all together, and then we'll be gone. We must march in order. What care we for the bells ringing, if we are all together, you cowards? But if we let them catch us one by one, even the villagers will give us it. For shame, fall behind, and keep together. After this brief harangue, he placed himself in the front and led the way out. The cottage, as we have said, was at the extremity of the village. Griso took the road that led out of it, and the rest followed him in good order. End of chapter 8, part 1. Recording by Peter Turner, Footville, Wisconsin.